Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of our Business in Focus podcast. I'm Marina Morris, a director at PwC and I'm your host for this episode. For many organisations, COVID has brought to the fore the discrepancy between the skills people have and those that are needed for the future. At PwC, our purpose is to build trust in society and solve important problems and part of this involves making sure everyone has the opportunity to live, learn and work in the digital world. And to help us do just that, we've launched our Upskilling Hopes and Fears research, a survey of over 32,000 workers across 19 countries. We asked people how they feel about the new technologies and trends that are changing the way that we work. In this episode, we're going to be discussing some of the most important findings of this research, and we're going to share some practical tips to help businesses, governments and individuals to upskill in preparation for the future of work. I'm delighted to be joined in our virtual studio today with Fiona Canzuli and Pete Brown. Fiona is our People and Organisation Leader here at PwC in the UK, and Pete is the global leader to our People and Organisation practice. Hi both, how are you? Whereabouts in the country are you today? Hi Rowena, uh, lovely to be here. I'm actually in Essex today. And Pete, how about you? Hi Rowena, uh, lovely to be here. Um, I'm halfway between London and, uh, and the sea at Portsmouth, so uh, on the South Downs, which is lovely today. Oh, you're near me on the South Downs. Um, so Fiona, we're going to kick off with you then. So, so much fascinating insight to cover across the research. And it was really great to see that people feel mostly optimistic about the challenges of work in the future, with 80% saying that they're confident that they can adapt to new technologies entering their workplace. So I guess my first question for you is, do you think that the public is right to be confident about the future of work? So I think, um, firstly, I have to say, I think given how difficult the last year has been for everyone, it's really positive to hear how confident people are actually in coming through the survey. And actually, I do think they're right to be confident. Um, And interestingly, that positivity that we're seeing coming through is also mirrored by how a lot of CEOs and leadership are feeling in a lot of organisations in the UK. So the majority of leaders feel very positive and confident about the future too. And I think there are several reasons why they should feel confident. I think that actually a lot of new tech and automation is opening up a lot of new opportunities and different ways of working. We've seen a lot of organisations in the past 12 months really change and adapt very, very quickly to, you know, very stark circumstances that we've all we've all lived through. And actually, that speed of change has uh, enabled a lot of organisations to really open up their thinking about how they can transform very quickly um, and actually help help their people work in a different way. So we've seen you know many digital transformations happen very, very quickly in the past nine, 12 months, things that previously might have taken a year or two to implement are now happening within weeks. We're seeing uh, different opportunities open up for how people work, you know, virtual working, blended or hybrid working. And people have had to learn new ways of working very quickly, but they've adapted actually, and we've really, we've really seen that. So, you know, we've got in, in our survey, 76% of CEOs think there will be economic growth over the next 12 months. So a really positive outlook for the future. Um, and actually, when you when we've asked out, you know, workers how they feel, 77% said they would learn a new skill to remain employable. So I think there's a lot of opportunity out there. And whilst we know jobs might change, well, actually, we also know a lot of new ones are going to emerge. So I think we're seeing a period where organisations are seeing that they need to create agi- agility. But we're also seeing that both organisations and people 
are adapting to a much more dynamic future. Um, so I think there's a lot of positivity. I think they're right to be confident. I think that's right, isn't there? Lots of opportunity. But on the flip side, we did hear that many people are concerned about job security, with 60% saying that actually they'll see jobs at risk through automation. And 39% think that their own job will be obsolete in just five years. So what risk does automation currently pose to people's jobs? Well, yeah, I mean, as I, as I said, and as you, you just alluded to, Irina, I think there's no doubt that the world of work is changing um, and the impact of automation, technology, and also actually much broader impacts on organisation, whether that be uh, different countries' views around globalisation versus protectionism, changing social dynamics and attitude, changing demographics, all of these things are really changing the way that organisations are going to have to think about how they operate in a new world. Um, and actually, if the pandemic has taught us anything, the reality is that change is happening and it's happening now. So it's true that, you know, there are there will be a number of jobs at potential risk um, from automation. Our survey showed that 30% of jobs are at potential risk of automation by the mid 2030s. Um, and two in five people believe that their job will be obsolete within five years. So that optimism I talked about at the beginning needs to be balanced with how do we manage through this time when some jobs will, di will disappear. But like I said before, I think tech and automation will create new opportunities. And that's where I think organisations have to understand and, and work through the challenges of the fact that you can't necessarily protect all the jobs. Some of them will necessarily change, morph, disappear. But there is, a, there is I think, a, a responsibility for organisations and, and, and other parts of society to think about how do we help people, how do we protect the people if you can't protect the jobs? And how do we help people get the skills they need and therefore the opportunities they need to go into different roles, new types of work, um, to really sort of fulfil that future, future potential? I think that sets the scene really nicely. And Pete, I'll move over to you now and looking at the global findings. So we've seen that 77% of people are saying that they're ready to learn a new skill or completely retrain in response to new technologies in the workplace. Does this ring true with your experience working with clients over the past year, would you say? It, it really does. I think um, there's certainly that degree of optimism that Fiona just talked about, but I would balance that with an underlying sort of slight fragility just in terms of, of growth prospects. So on the one hand, your CEOs and workers are optimistic. Um, but, you know, if you think about the last 12 months, you know, we've seen digitization in sort of record speed with organizations having to respond, frankly, for survivability. Um, and as I think we are starting to hopefully approach, you know, the end of the pandemic, you know, we all hope. You know, I think we see organizations they continue that charge in terms of investment around digitization. So it's not going away. There will be more automation, but also sort of looking into sort of mergers and acquisitions activity, looking to increase market share through you know, better uh, consumer experience and you know, better products and price. And, and I think, you know, as we start to emerge, it's those organizations that are coming out of survival mode and really looking to how can, how can they capitalize on certain parts of what they've invested in, particularly around the digitization space, um, and, and invest in people, in technology, in innovation. And I think those organizations that can get that right, you know, better data, better decision making and scale quickly, are those that will probably win the race in terms of growth. So, you know, 
when it comes to, to the workforce, I think the optimism is is, is that the, the vast majority of workers, you know, are happy to to, to, to reskill, to, to learn new skills, to do their job. They recognise, you know, the impact of technology, which has been accelerated by the pandemic, um, and, and they also actually, being realistic, realists, recognise there's some great advantages. You know, it takes away elements of their job that have had perhaps repetitive or unengaging, and it frees them up to do. Um, other things, more value-adding, more creative um, um, with their time. Um, what's also clear as well is in terms of people taking accountability for that. Yes, they do, um, perhaps three-quarters of respondents, they want their organisations to invest in, in them. And that's actually no different to the surveys of the last four or five years. But they also recognise it's their responsibility as well. Some 80% of the respondents recognise that um, it's, their, it's, it's up to them as well to actually want to embrace and take that that training but i think yeah, positively they, they are they're wanting to do that yeah i thought it was interesting um seeing in the survey that 40 percent said that they did um learn new digital skills so it'd be interested in your views around how you think organizations can continue to encourage that digital upskilling um, especially while people are working remotely that's that's a really good question Rianne. i think we've all recognized the challenges of working remotely um and, and and I think that there's a number of things that you know, we're seeing organisations do, not least PwC. I think first and foremost is is really um, setting the message from you know, from the top of the organisation down around you know, learning as being a positive and essential part of, of people's development, and providing opportunities for for people to do that. And, and that's a really interesting area, actually. Um, Twenty-eight percent of people say they they started the pandemic without adequate skills. Um, and 40% say they actually have improved their skills throughout the pandemic. But when you drill down into the details there, it's typically those with a college degree or above who have been given more access, and they feel they've got more access to training opportunities. Um, and only 20% of college leavers, school leavers, um, say they have that opportunity. And I think there's, some, there's a note of caution there in, in terms of em employers around making sure that the opportunities are is open to everybody, not just those with the higher qualifications and above. I think the reason that's so important is because if you look at the roles that are most likely to be disrupted first, it is those where, uh, the, the, that require people of a, of a lower educational background that seem to be being hit, hit first. And so there is a, there's a huge responsibility to help equip those people, as Fiona said, looking after people, not jobs, help those people with um, ha having the opportunity to access new qualifications, new skills, such that they are relevant for the future of, of work as we know it. So it sounds like those who most need the digital skills are still the least likely to get them, and workers are facing inequality and missing out on career advancement on that training. Um, and Fiona, I saw that you know 50% unfortunately saying that they face discrimination at work. Um, so it'd be interesting to get your views in what do organisations need to do now to challenge biases and tackle that discrimination um, at work? Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's, a, it's a disappointing statistic, but obviously it's, it's an issue which um, has been, you know, really front of mind even before the pandemic. But actually, the knock-on effects of COVID-19, I think, have really uh, put a spotlight also on where some of those either discrimination or also uh, gaps or inequalities exist in society. I mean, we've seen that, you know, the, the knock-on effects of COVID-19 have been 
particularly rough for certain demographics. You know, for example, uh, women who've been in particular forced to drop out of the labour market at a higher rate than men during the pandemic. Um, from a discrimination perspective, we've seen some of the stats come through. Also, for example, 22% in our survey say that age discrimination was the most reported. Um, and I think here that the challenge is that organisations, we've always known that organisations that, that invest the most in diverse and inclusive um, environments are the ones that attract the best talent, they foster really great innovation, and actually they have improved business outcomes and financial performance. So, you know, we've known that and there's a lot of evidence behind that for a long time. Um, I think that organisations actually now, interestingly, are at a really pivotal moment and I think leaders of organisations and CEOs really need to think about how they can use this point of time almost to reinvent how they approach these challenges because they've got a real opportunity to create fairer, more inclusive, more equitable places to work. Um, but this really means actually thinking about a range of issues. So it thinks about, you know, how you're going to incorporate flexibility in your organisation to make sure that people do have access to uh, to opportunities, you know, across all different demographics and being really transparent about those, but also being really thoughtful, you know, so flexibility alone, for example, isn't going to solve a problem. Just saying we're going to give people, um, you know, empowered, flexible working or agile working uh, is, is a really great way of, of creating a more inclusive uh, workforce, but it's not the only solution to the problem. I think um employers are going to have to think about how they create an environment where they're really clear about the expectations um from they, that they you know what they want from employees but also be really open really transparent around career progression making sure that they can uh, instill open communications and open conversations in the organization so people can understand you know where are my opportunities how can I advance my career how do I get access to the skills I need to progress and how do I actually get the opportunities to to, to upskill myself and, and build confidence myself but as as ever with, with this sort of uh, with these challenges around diversity and inclusion it's really important to also tackle the cause and not the symptoms so organizations need to take really hard looks at the, the culture the behaviors the leadership and the role models that they set in their organizations in order to really sort of you know you've got to walk the talk so how do you actually get the right processes environment behavior uh, and then align that with how you the messages that you send out and making sure that you can really follow through those opportunities so it's a big challenge but one that has enormous benefits on a number of different levels uh, for organisations and for society. That point around walking the talk really resonates with me. And, you know, we've done many of these podcasts over the last couple of months speaking with a number of different clients. And actually one of the main themes that have come out is that value of purpose becoming much more pronounced during the pandemic. Um, interesting to see in the survey, you know, 75% of people are saying, you know, I really want to work for an organisation that makes a positive contribution to society. Um, Pete, I wanted to move on to you now, though. So looking at the uncertainty over the pace of the recovery, CEOs are continuing to primarily rely on cost cutting to drive growth. So what's the case for investing in upskilling now, like Fiona was talking about, when so many organisations are still actually just navigating through the economic damage caused by the pandemic? 
Well, I, th I, th I think you know, cost cutting is, is inevitable as, as, as we come out of the pandemic and, and, and frankly look to, to, to fund a lot of the recovery of the pandemic. Um, and clearly automation plays a huge part in that in terms of process simplification and, and getting machines to do things that they're able to do that you don't require a human for. But, but I think the case itself for investing in skilling um, speaks to itself in terms of, you know, you, you can put whatever technology you want in, but you, you do require that interface with, with humans and people to bring the best out of that technology. Um, and for example, if you look across the banking sector, wherefore, you know, for many years, a an area they were focused on was trying to, to increase the engagement with customers through digital channels. And it was something that many of them were were struggling with, quite frankly. Well, literally overnight with the pandemic, that, that change was forced upon that sector, with many people around the world now interfacing routinely with, with their banks through through digital channels, because that's the only way they can. Well, that, that leaves you with a you know, very capable workforce, which in the traditional roles they had, but those roles are no longer needed. So actually, those organizations now focusing on how can they pivot that that that, that resource those those colleagues into much more value adding uh, roles around customer experience and that's created new jobs but you've got, obviously got to skill people to do those so you know in terms of the uptick there that's an example of a sector that is that is um you know, changing the nature of jobs are changing very rapidly and we're seeing that across other sectors as well um but but we know it's not something that organizations um can do in isolation it requires um, organizations it requires policymakers, government it requires educators to really come together to work out you know what are the kind of roles we're going to need in the future and how do we be best equip people in order to, uh, to you know to be ready for those roles and and it's not just this is not just around I think people sometimes think well you know let's just turn everybody into coders and focus on cyber jobs yes those critical skills are important but again consistently if you speak to CEOs and look at the, the results of the survey there the kind of skills they're in desperate need of are those innately human skills, problem solving, creativity, innovation, teamwork, followership. Um, really hard to train uh, in short, short, short supply, but in high demand. And so, you know, focusing on skilling people to have 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 those attributes and abilities um, really, really important. So you mentioned teamwork as one of the key attributes there, and that makes me think of you know what would you say would be the role of the office in the future, given the popularity of hybrid working, we're seeing, you know, 72% of people saying they prefer a mix of in-person and remote working, and only 9% saying that they want to go back to a traditional commute and work environment full time. Yeah, I think I think there are there are very varying sort of schools of thought at either extreme of, of that um, continuum. So there are some CEOs who have very publicly said, you know, the the, the, the day of the office is over and they're very happy for their workforce to be, to be working, you know, away from the office full-time there are other ceos who have been very publicly said you know it's a it's an experiment that's not not sustainable and we want everybody to be back in the office um as, as quickly as possible um all the, all the evidence we're seeing from the from the various studies we do and, and actually from client conversations is it is probably you know, two to three days back in some form of office environment either the main office or in some kind of satellite office but i think that's so important i think pwc is a great example you know, we are fundamentally a people business, um, and our people have you know, have, a, have a great sort of requirement and need actually to get to the office two or three days a week. I would say for learning, for collaboration, and actually just for kind of those social interactions, those non-curated moments where you bump into people at the coffee machine. Uh, that's that's where we do a lot of our learning, um, a lot of our networking, a lot of our collaboration, and I think we're seeing that mirrored actually in many many organisations, um, both in the UK and and beyond. 
It's interesting because we were talking to um, Kevin Ellis about this the other day on on an earlier podcast and he picked up that point around linking that to you know the role that business leaders take in supporting the health and well-being of their employees. I thought it was interesting uh, in the survey that 38% of respondents said that they feel that their work environment is safe and enables them to give their best but worryingly just 20% say that their employer helps them to manage stress so I'd be interested maybe Fiona if I come to you first to understand your views on what do you think those actions are that leaders could be taking to better support that health and well-being of, of their staff? Yeah, I mean, this is the topic that we are hearing a lot of our clients talk about now, and they were talking about it obviously a lot, you know, probably last summer, uh, after we sort of been through the first stages of lockdown, where well-being was, you know, really high on their priority list. I actually think also now we're hearing organisations talk about, well, what does it mean as we go forward in terms of what does our future workforce look like? How are they going to work together to the points that, that Pete raised around the role of the office where, you know, versus working virtually, which, which I think poses some interesting and different challenges for organisations around how they think about well-being. I mean, some of the things that, that we've done at PwC, you know, for example, um, you might be familiar, Rowena, we, we introduced, we invested in the Headspace app, which allows uh, our, all of us open to all of access to all of our staff. Um, and it's a, it's a way in which they can access time for themselves, think about how they can actually manage their stress. It's a really helpful tool for them and provided provided to them sort of for, for open access. There's also a lot we've done around trying to create the right support networks and communities and thinking about how um, we can support people through agile working. I think this is going to be a big challenge for companies where you might have people, you know, some in the office some days a week, some working from home. It does change the dynamic about where do you take breaks, for example, something really practical. So our survey found that only 23% of, uh, of them were actually encouraged to take short breaks during the day. Uh, which is really worrying and actually only a third said they were able to disconnect from work outside of work hours so there's something that you could say okay that's quite a practical way that organizations could start thinking about how do you frame some of the the boundaries of what's acceptable and what's the right way of working um, and I think companies need to do that quite thoughtfully otherwise you know you could end up in a situation where Either you encourage a culture of presenteeism, for example, or people not being able to manage their workload appropriately. Um, so I think thinking through what boundaries you're going to set. So while you're going out and saying, here's the new deal for how we're going to work, you know, here's our expectations of you as an employee, here's how we're going to support you to make sure that you can balance work and life, or how you can balance the number of hours that you work in a day. I also think some of the stress that comes out of pure virtual working has been really tough uh, for a lot of employees you know being sort of on the end of a of a laptop or a screen um, for, for you know for hours with back-to-back -back calls can be really quite stressful or not being in contact with your team so I think trying to find the ways of encouraging um, how to connect with others um, and there are lots of different you know, some of our clients are thinking about using even digital tools so that where you aren't in the office there are ways of creating connectivity communication and connection with workers and, and in your colleagues so that actually you've got some of those channels to help manage your stress as well as the things that you might do outside of work so I think it's a real combination but I do think that 
it, it needs to be done. I think employers have got a real role here to sort of intervene and provide um, whether it's platforms, forums, guidance, um, and also just making sure they give the employees the right sense of permission, right, to to feel like they should shout out and say, actually, you know, it's a really open communication environment. I am feeling the sense of stress. How can I get some help about this? So I think I think there are a number of things here. And Pete, anything that you'd add from your client conversations around that? Well, I think just to, to add to Fiona's point around that that sort of leadership giving permission. Um, I mean, just some some small things. So 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 we we released a blog during the pandemic around just some top tips around kind of easing the burden of hybrid working. You know, for example, yeah, we all routinely sort of seem to schedule meetings for 30 minutes or an hour. Well, if you're really clear up front to say, actually, this meeting is going to be 25 minutes, I'm going to give you five minutes back just to kind of stretch your legs, get away from the screen. Um, or also, you know, just because it's a video conference type of call, yeah, it is okay for people to dial in sometimes, you know, not always be on the screen and always on. Um, and also the little things as well, like I mean, Fiona mentioned around the psychologists and psychiatrists and, and the GPs, actually, we, we've been using uh, very regularly with, with, with our teams, um, just in, in terms of providing comfort and advice. You know, little things like making sure you're drinking enough water in the day, all things around, you know, the, the whole person, that sort of well-being, physical and mental, which is so important, um, yeah, in order to enable people to, to bring their best to work. Some really useful practical tips there and i suppose i'm just conscious of the time if we finish on actually some more top tips but going back to that upskilling piece so fiona maybe if i come to you first yeah i think my top I, i'll give you three rowena so my first one would be you know don't wait right start now so now is the time to really look at how you can uh, really start to think about how you're going to upskill and get get the right skills, those broad skills that Pete talked about earlier. So start now. The second is do it in a way where you can empower your people to upskill themselves. So this shouldn't just be a sort of top down exercise, actually allowing them to do it themselves and give them confidence to so give them the tools they need to learn. And the third one would be think about how you can use upskilling as a way to unleash innovation in your organization to allow creativity but also actually now to enable better agile working actually um, and use it as part of how people can can uh, work in a different way and learn and carry on developing themselves so those are the three how about you pete so i'll, I'll match fiona's three actually for me number one is yeah have a really clear story clear narrative as to why you're doing it you know, what's in it for, for the individual? What's in it for the organization? What's what's the reason you're going through this sort of upskilling journey? Um, secondly, you know, involve people, involve your teams. You know, people tend to adopt what they've helped create. People have extraordinary talents in their organizations. You know, use that talent to help you um, define that journey. Um, and thirdly, if the last 12 months hasn't, you know, it hasn't taught us anything, it's taught us one thing around the extraordinary capability and ability of people um, to deliver extraordinary things, um, particularly when under you know intense pressure. Um, and so my, my, my advice there would be, you know, when you're going down some form of transformation journey and you think you're being bold, be bolder, double, you know, double it, be bolder because you'll be surprised about what people are able to deliver. Really great, six top tips there for everyone and nice and practical as well, we like that. 
Um, thank you very much, Fiona and Pete, for a fascinating discussion. And of course, thanks to everyone for listening too. Um, if you'd like to explore our hopes and fears research that we were talking through, visit our website at pwc.com forward slash hopes dash fears. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with future episodes. Thanks, everyone, and stay safe.